Welcome to episode 1634 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Meg Rowley is off today because it's Christmas week and she is a sensible person. So I, a less sensible person, am joined by three other people I've been wanting to talk to for a while. And our topics today are translating baseball terminology into other languages and the role of bilingualism in baseball. And joining me to talk about that in Taipei, Taiwan, is Jackie Bingsheng Li, the translator of the traditional Chinese version of my book with Travis Sochik, The MVP Machine. Jackie, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ben. Uh, thank you for having me here. And it's really a pleasure to be joining you guys and also be on this pod. I'm a loyal listener myself. Well, thank you. The pleasure is mutual. And I have a copy of your work, the Chinese language edition of the book, which came out in May on my shelf. And it looks great. I'm sure it reads great too. I do not yet have a copy of the Korean language edition of the book, which hasn't come out yet, but it will soon because of the efforts of another of our guests today, Hyun Sung Kim. Hyunsung is joining us from Seoul, South Korea, where he has recently completed or is just about to complete, I suppose, the Korean translation of the MVP machine. Hyunsung, thank you for coming on. Hi, thank you for having me. And yes, I'm still in the uh, translating phase, but mm-hmm. hopefully uh, I'll be finishing up and having it out sometime next year, uh, probably towards the, uh, the opening day of the KBO season. Ah, great. Okay. Well, I apologize to both of you that Travis and I wrote so many words. (laughs) It's got to be a lot of work for for you two, but I am glad that you've done it. And unfortunately, we are not able to be joined by Shinya Iwasaki, the translator of the Japanese edition of the book, which is the only other edition of the book so far, although we have sold the Spanish language rights. But we are joined instead by Brendan O'Connor, who has not translated the MVP machine into any languages that I know of, but has read it in English. And Brendan is an effectively wild listener, but more importantly, he is also an assistant professor at the School of Transborder Studies at Arizona State University and a linguistic anthropologist who wrote an interesting article earlier this year about bilingualism in baseball for the anthropology magazine Sapiens. Brendan, hello. Hello, Ben. Very, very happy to be here. I suppose I could take a stab at translating the MVP machine into Spanish if, if nobody else is available, but yeah. it sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. We sold those rights a while back and I have not heard anything about that, but I hope that that comes out at some point. So I'm happy to have you all here and maybe it's self-indulgent of me to want to talk to the translators of my book, but I'm fascinated by the process and based on the response in our Facebook group to a post by Jackie this spring, it seemed like a lot of our listeners would be. So I imagine the process of translating an entire baseball book into another language would be doubly difficult if you did not know and love baseball. And so I was very happy to hear that Jackie and Hyun Sung were doing the translations because I know that they're really interested in the subject and that they know a lot about the subject and that they have worked in other capacities in baseball before. So I want to ask you about your previous translation efforts and how you got to translate the book. 
But I first want to ask about your baseball backgrounds because, Jackie, I believe not only have you done some writing about baseball, but you've done some broadcasting and Hyunsung, you've done some scouting. So, Jackie, could you tell us a little bit about your other baseball work that is maybe non-translation related? Yeah, so I have been writing about baseball, uh, particularly Major League Baseball, since 2013 when I was a freshman in the college. And at that time, it was just a part-time, is a part-time job, a sidekick. And since then, I have grown uh, more and more interested into the Major League Baseball. And since the start of 2016, I started to work part-time for the Fox Sports Taiwan, and they are the main broadcasting partner with Major League Baseball here in Taiwan. So they produce a lot of the content on Major League Baseball. So. I wrote article for them, and I actually have been writing for uh, articles about Major League Baseball until now. And I also broadcasted several games this year, and also mm-hmm. hosted a uh, baseball tonight show here in, in Fox Sports Taiwan. And I also uh, have also been writing Major League Baseball articles for several outlets. And I, my friend. Adam Wan and I also hosted a baseball podcast in Mandarin here in Taiwan, mm-hmm. and it's a, a mainly about Major League Baseball. So I have done a lot of things, uh, yeah. mainly about baseball here in Taiwan, and that's actually I'm making a living out of it right now. Oh, that's great. And were you doing English broadcasts or Chinese broadcasts or both? I do Chinese broadcasts uh, of MLB game. Uh, for mm-hmm. Fox Sports Taiwan, but I only did uh, several of them this for for this postseason, and I also because of the pandemic, uh, we the Eleven Sports Taiwan broadcast CPBO games in English uh, for right. the first time in the league history this year, and I was privileged and honored to be able to be part of that. So this season, I broadcast um like more than like roughly fifty games. Uh, 50 CPBO games in English as a play-by-play man this year. That's great. Okay. And Hyunsung, I don't know how much you can share about your baseball work, but I know that you have done some scouting and worked for teams. Can you talk about that at all? Oh, sure. Well, before I did a bunch of things not related to baseball, then in 2013, I worked as a translator for the World Baseball Classic, helping out the international umpiring crew. We had one Korean umpire there. And this is when I got into working in baseball. And this is my eighth year working as a scout. I'm currently with the Kansas City Royals, mainly covering South Korean baseball, both uh, amateur and pro. Cool. So I do want to get to the translation, of course, but since we're on the subject, I guess I should ask how the pandemic and the way that KBO and CPBL games really had a huge international presence this year affected both of you, if at all. I I guess, Jackie, clearly maybe it did because there was even more work or, or more interest. But what was it like for suddenly there to be a lot more broadcasts and English language broadcasts and people in the U.S. following the CPBL really closely? Yeah, it's really it was really unexpected that because of the pandemic, the league and the broadcast partners have the opportunity to bring the English broadcast to the international audience. Before this year, 
I believe no one would have imagined that this would ever happen. That CPBL will have a chance to be broadcast in English because we don't have that appeal and that market. And so, it's the pandemic. Sort of, it's like a blessing in disguise for the league at least this year because it brought the pandemic brought international attention to, uh, to the league. And time has also just selected CPBL's opening as one of its this year's big moments of the year,、yeah. and that is also a very a, a good thing for the league. And also personally, because of the opportunity to broadcast the game in English, I got the chance to broadcast the game. And、uh, to be honest, my dream、um, growing up. Was to become a play-by-play man or broadcaster of baseball games, so that actually expedited the process of、uh, making a dream come true for myself. Because this April, when I first broadcast the CPBL game in English, that was my first time doing the job. So I don't know. Certainly, the pandemic is certainly a bad thing for everyone, and I don't want to have. Any see anyone hurt and be badly influenced by the pandemic, but actually because of the pandemic, I had a quite a year for myself, my、uh, baseball career because、mm-hmm. of the pandemic. So it's、uh, really unexpected, and also don't know how to describe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Hyunsung, I. Guess the same goes for the KBO, which was really prominent here in the states. I suppose your work with the Royals—I I don't know whether that was affected directly. I guess MLB teams have been interested in the KBO for a while now, and more and more interested over time as more players have come over and have proved themselves here. But. Did it affect either your work or, I guess, just the perception of the league internationally? I would suppose the the perception has been pretty widespread because the Korean government was able to. We had we had a early spike、uh, in February, yeah, and that was when all the KBO teams were when they went abroad for their spring training, and、uh, when they came back,、uh, we had a big spike, and、uh, we weren't sure that the、uh, the league was gonna、uh, the, the season was gonna happen. But then slowly the government kind of took control, and the number of confirmed cases went down. And in May, we were able to have an open the season.、Mm-hmm. So that was very good for the league. And then we had some coverage from ESPN. People were able to put a lot of attention watching、uh, the KBO. So、mm-hmm. it was very good for the league. And Uh, for for my work, there were some limitations because first they didn't have they didn't allow attendance, right? And we were kind of included in that, so we had to wait until July to actually go and and watch the game. Yeah, well, it must be nice to be somewhere where <laughs> things were handled much better than they were handled here, so that baseball could resume sooner, and also so that society could not collapse. So. Brendan, could you tell us a little bit about your work and what got you interested in bilingualism in baseball? I know you speak Spanish, of course, but maybe you could explain how that relates to your day job and what led you to write about baseball earlier this year. 
Sure. Well, I, I decided to write about it because I thought it would be fun. And I also thought it would be interesting. I've, I'm a huge baseball fan. I'm actually a Royals fan. So I'd like to oh. thank Hyun Sung <laughs> for all the good work you're doing um, for, for the Royals in Korea. You're welcome. But it's interesting. So I, I'm an educational researcher and I'm also a linguist. And my my work, my research, I should say, has been inspired by the fact that I've I've worked primarily as a teacher of Mexican-American and other Latino students, despite being a white person from the Northeast U.S. who grew up as a, a native English speaker and then learned Spanish later on. So, you know, I've had a, an interest in the education of bilingual students, Mexican-American students, like I said, for a long time. And that includes working with immigrant families and just being conscious of what immigrant families face uh, in and out of school. So a lot of my research uh, language-wise focuses on you know, how bilingual students make sense of their experiences uh, at school in English-dominant contexts and um, all the issues of, of culture and identity that come into that. So baseball from my perspective, is a kind of fascinating place to look at some of these same issues from a different angle. I mean, you do have, uh, in, in the article that you mentioned before, Ben, I talk about the different kinds of migrant streams that converge in, in various locations in the baseball world. I mean, the maybe the most visible one is this migrant stream or this movement that sort of parallels the movement of a lot of my a lot of my students and their families from, from South to North, from places like the Dominican Republic and Venezuela to the United States. But then you also get these interesting examples of people who were born and raised in the U.S. who then end up going to places like Korea and Taiwan and even the Dominican Republic and Venezuela during the, during the off season. So I think, you know, I was thinking about what Young Sung said about working as a translator and interpreter for the, the international umpiring crew during the WBC. I mean, that's the kind of situation that I can imagine would bring forth some of the stuff that I think is really fascinating about bilingualism in baseball, which is it's not just a matter of figuring out how to translate one term to another term, right? And not to, not to suggest that that in itself is an easy matter. But I think anytime you have people coming into these contexts where multiple languages are in play, you're also dealing with multiple cultural frameworks, you know, immigrant stories and journeys that might look very different, different issues of identity. And some of those, some of those issues have to do with how people perceive the game of baseball itself to be changing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, as listeners, I think will be aware that's often a source of, of conflict or debate within within the baseball community, both the professional community and among fans in the United States is what do these what do these changes, demographic changes in baseball that are often associated with different ways of playing the game or um, different, you know, um, <laughs> different stances with respect to the so-called unwritten rules of baseball. A lot of times there's issues of culture and language that kind of get entangled in those those kind of moral debates or moral panics about about um, the future of the game or even the present of the game. So I just think um, a lot of the stuff that comes up for me in schooling about working with students from immigrant backgrounds and bilingual students, we can kind of see a lot of those same tensions come up in a different way within baseball. And I think it's I think it's just fascinating to consider that. 
Yeah, me too. And maybe we can talk a little later about how that relates to the KBO and CPBL. And Brendan, you might have better questions to ask our other guests than I would. So I do first want to talk about the translation itself, that part of just technically translating these words and these baseball terms and this somewhat technical terminology in some cases with this book into other languages. So I guess, Jackie, I'll start with you. Can you talk a little bit about how you became a translator and whether you've worked on baseball translation before and how you ended up working on the MVP machine? Yeah, so I majored in foreign languages and literatures in National Taiwan University, and I went on to study in the graduate program of translation interpretation of the same school. So I believe translation interpretation has always been my passion and also my profession, something I have been good at. And I'm also very interested in English uh, throughout my life. So I combined that with my passion and interest for baseball. And it's sort of a, a natural thing for me to become a baseball writer because I can uh, translate a lot of information from the United States where uh, baseball is very popular and also where baseball is originated from and to Chinese to give the people, the Taiwanese baseball fans, the Major League Baseball information and also the latest development of baseball here in, uh, in the U.S., bring them to Taiwan. And the reason why I can translate this book is because the editor of the publisher, Infortress Publishing here in Taiwan, he found the book on Amazon and he was looking for sports books that have good ratings and might attract Taiwanese readers. And since the MVP machine is dubbed Moneyball 2.0, uh, and Moneyball has also been popular with Taiwanese audience and readers, so the editor believed MVP machine would also be a good, a good book uh, to import to Taiwan. And at that time, I didn't know the editor nor the publisher. So it was actually through an upperclassman of my graduate school uh, that I got the opportunity. He uh, was already translating books for the publisher and he recommended me to the editor to review the book because he knows that I'm specialized in baseball writing. So when he recommended me to do this, I was actually serving in the military. We have a compulsory military service here in Taiwan. So right. I still had like 20 days left to serve but I was still able to finish uh, writing the MVP Machine's book review in the troops. Huh. So I sent the book review to the publisher and the publisher uh, can uh, vet the project. And eventually the publisher passed the project and, and became responsible for the translation of the book. That was, that, that's how I got the job, yeah. Jackie, I was going to ask, Hyunsung might be able to speak to this too, but some of this comes out of my my own ignorance of, of what baseball fandom and fan culture is like in Taiwan and Korea. But I guess going back to my point about language and culture, how much cultural unpacking um, or explanation of the U.S. baseball context did you have to, to take into consideration or to do? Um, when you were translating the book, or or did you just sort of assume that that your audience would already have that context? I'm thinking, for example, of you know the whole phenomenon of driveline and kind of 
private player development, um, what a big deal the Astros cheating scandal was for fans in the U.S. Did that stuff make it over there so that you could anticipate people already had that context? Or did you have to do a lot of additional explanation in the book? Yeah, so I believe like the Astros sign stealing scandal and all the Major League Baseball big news is actually uh, make their way to the Taiwanese baseball circle. And a lot of fans know about it because we also have a very popular baseball YouTubers that make videos of of those uh, news and make a lot of content on Major League Baseball events. So I believe the big news and also the big events that happened in, in, in Major League Baseball, most of the fans here know about it. But when I translate the book, I still have to explain uh, something that I believe, some, some things that I think the fans here would not be familiar with, such as um, like StatCast or some cultural references like uh, Smurf, because Smurf is mentioned. Uh, it's not related to baseball, but it's mentioned in the book. And also some references about the movies, the lines in the movies. And I feel like I have to explain those. And also like uh, pitch effects, hit effects, I will add footnotes to further explain those things, uh, details that based on my knowledge about the fans here in tai Taiwan and their knowledge about Major League Baseball, I would make some decisions to decide whether I should add a footnote or not. Got it. Hyunsung, I don't know if you want to respond to Brendan's question also and say how you handled that, but I'm also interested in the story of how you became a translator and started translating this book. Well, I grew up in the States. My father was a journalist, so I had the, I was lucky enough to uh, live in the States. I went there twice, and that's how I kind of picked up my English. But I didn't really think uh, I would be a translator uh, until I went to college and served my military service. Like Koreans uh, have to serve a mandatory uh, military service for about two years. And it's not until then that I kind of realized, okay, I, uh, this is kind of my skill. I should uh, work on it. And also, I, I grew up as a baseball fan, and I kind of, you know, had this uh, vision or dream that I would kind of kind of converge them together. I did, I, I did start out as a translator uh, after my military service, but I did different things. I, I translated video games and, and theses and, and articles and, and whatnot. And, and I, as I mentioned before, it wasn't until uh, 2013 where I got to actually translate uh, baseball uh, through the World Baseball Classic. Mm -hmm. And uh, about the book, I think after I think after my fifth season as a scout, I kind of realized um, I, I wanted to translate baseball books. I did some research on uh, how many books were. Uh, how many books from North America were were translated over here? Uh, yeah, and, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, and there were about um, there weren't there weren't many. Um, yeah, it was about sixty four books so far. Most of them were novels or children's books or books on fundamentals. 
and there weren't many books on uh, the latest trends. Mm -hmm. So I kind of felt like the Korean audience was being left out in that particular area. And I started off um, translating. I, I actually uh, translated uh, Keith Law's Smart ah. Baseball last year. Uh -huh. And then I got to know uh, your book through... I uh, Actually, I think I saw someone post something on, on social media and right, right when the book was released and I bought myself a copy and I kind of knew it early on. I heard phrases from uh, a lot of people in and out of baseball and I kind of skimmed through the book and I uh, decided I should go for it. Well, I'm glad you did. And yeah. <laughs> Jackie, is is that true there too that I'd imagine maybe there are even fewer baseball books from America available in traditional Chinese? Is that the case? I, I'm sure you can get Moneyball in almost any language at this point, but is the selection pretty slim beyond that? Yeah, I haven't done the research like Hansam did on the translated books, baseball books in Taiwan from the North America. Uh, but I did have several books at hand here, and I believe the number is below 64 for sure. But mm -hmm. in recent years, we have um, more books being translated into traditional Chinese. And here I have like um, eight of them, including the MVP machine. Like, But Big Data Baseball was translated into simplified Chinese. We haven't had a uh, traditional Chinese version, but it's still Chinese. Mm -hmm. And also... Whenever I wind up, and also Rivera's autobiography, and Zach Hampel's uh, Watching Baseball Smart, and also The Teammates by um, David uh, Halberstam. David Halberstam, yeah, yeah that's yeah, a exactly. great book, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I there are several of them, but it's most from these past two or three decades. And beyond that, I believe there weren't any like translated baseball books from the United States. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the process and what the difficult parts of it were. And uh, Jackie, you wrote a little bit about this in the Facebook group, which was really interesting early this year. But what were some of the challenges, uh, I guess, specific to either this book or a baseball book in general when translating it into your language? So for me, actually, translating something about baseball is a lot easier than uh -huh. translating something not about baseball because I'm familiar with the subject and the genre and I'm also familiar with your work and Travis' works. So that really helped me a lot. And I have seen, watched a lot of uh, videos of Trevor Bauer's pitching motions and also Driveline's uh, videos. So because the books mentioned a lot about those um, pitching mechanics and also motions and these things I believe could be very hard for a translator who doesn't know anything about baseball or uh, anything specifically about the pitching me mechanics so I think that actually um, helped me a lot and I have a easier time to translate the baseball context than other things but having said that, it's still a very uh, difficult project because of the sheer amount of the words. I haven't done any books 
tra translation of books before these projects. So this is a very new experience for me. And also um, another difficult part is that there are so many company and brand names that don't have any Chinese translation. <laughs> Uh -huh. Yeah, so my editor asked me to translate into Chinese as much as possible. So I did, but some of them are just untranslatable, like StatCast, PitchFX, HitFX. I just couldn't find a way to make it into Chinese. So I have yeah. to stick with the English names for, this, uh, for these names in the books. Huh. Do you actually write it in English or do you just sort of spell it out phonetically or how does that work? Oh, yeah, I just write it in English. But since... The book, uh, the traditional Chinese version, is um, the characters are not lined out in uh, are not lined out horizontally. It's it's uh, vertically because mm -hmm. Chinese characters you can line it up uh, vertically. So the English when when you have to line English uh, vertically, it looked a little bit awkward. So that's why the editor asked me to translate those names into Chinese as much as possible. But I if I can, I can't do that. You still have to stick with the English characters. And Hyunsung, how about you? I, I know we've been sending emails back and forth when you've had an occasional question, or just wanted to make sure that you were interpreting the meaning correctly. And happy to help if I can, just to make it as good as it can be. But you haven't needed help with most of it, obviously. So how has it gone, and and what have you found the challenges to be in this book specifically, or I guess in translating baseball material in general? Uh, I would say um, that. The most dif difficult thing for translating English to Korean or, or vice versa is is probably the word order because, you know, in English it's subject, verb, but in Korean the verb goes at the end. So when you have a conversation in Korean, uh, you have to hear the whole sentence out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, 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 that, that, that's always kind of tricky for us uh, translators over here to 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 translate a um, English or a European language to Korean, the way we Koreanize the the alphabet names, there's like for uh, the Korean government kind of set rules for that. So we would have to figure out. I mean, some some of some of the names, like popular names, they have a a sample for us to just write it write it down, but. Uh -huh. uh, you know, most of the names in in baseball books, it's it's very new. You don't see see those in in, in the samples. So, uh, yeah. I would have to kind of figure out going through their way of the formulas that they have and kind of put put it in a way that kind of fits their rules and at the same time sounds uh, close enough how how the name is pronounced. Also, the different terminologies. Like some some of the the terminologies are just you you just can't translate it word for word. It's more sense to sense. So that was some of the challenges. And going back to Brent Brendan's question, like maybe I would say around five to ten years ago, uh, the general Korean baseball fans weren't really aware about American baseball, like the culture and how and and the news and and the, the current affairs that's going on over there. But I think it, I think recently they've kind of caught up on those 
especially with I think especially became more aware after players like Eric Thames or Merrill Kelly or Josh Lindblom kind of played over in Korea and then made their way back to the big leagues. That's when uh, the general audience kind of opened up and and kind of they 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 had more interest in 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 American baseball. But still, you 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 do have to you know explain certain terminologies or certain why this sentence makes sense you you kind of have put, have to put footnotes and you have to kind of elaborate on those yeah listening to hamsom talked about the language sequence of the difference of language sequence of um, korean and english making make me think about in english that uh, you can have a lot of a relative clause behind a noun so you can add a lot of things after noun just to describe the noun. But in Chinese, if you put a lot of adjectives before a noun, it can feel very, very awkward. We usually don't put that many adjectives in front of the noun. So it can be a very tough task when there is a very, very long relative clause behind a noun. I have to start a new sentence to uh, finish describing that certain thing. So I believe that posed as a particular difficult part when I uh, try to uh, went through the the project. And just for the non-linguists and translators out there, when Jackie says relative clause, right, he means, you know, a part of the sentence that you can put after any noun to sort of modify that noun or to explain what's happening with it. So, you know, driveline, comma, which is a baseball development facility located in blah, 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 and where players sometimes go in the offseason in order to blah, 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 blah. He's saying that it's sort of awkward to figure out how to pack all that additional information, which would be modifying or explaining the noun driveline in the rest of that sentence. Jackie, did I sort of, did I sort of explain that well? Yeah, exactly. That's what I want to express. I see. And Jackie, is there much... English slang in baseball in general in the CPBL? I mean, when people will refer to certain events or certain things happening, will they sort of borrow English language terms or will they translate it or will they just use their own slang for those things? I think mostly we borrow a lot of baseball slangs from Japanese baseball culture. Yeah, because uh, baseball was passed from... Japan to Taiwan during the Japanese colonial era uh, from 1895 to 1945. So during those 50 years, uh, the Japanese people passed the baseball culture to Taiwan. So a lot of our baseball culture was inherited from Japan. So if you go to a, you know, amateur baseball park and you hear people in Taiwan playing baseball and when they are on the field, they will yell a lot of different terminologies and terms and different usages. And most of them are relevant to uh, Japanese terms and Japanese. So I believe most of them is from, from Japan instead of the United States. And Hyunsung, what about in Korea and in the KBO? Uh, yes, a lot of English ter- English baseball terms are Kind of, they've kind of made their way into into the Korean baseball culture. 
most of them they'll just use it like home run or strike ball like those really fundamental terms are are mainly english and uh also yes korea was also invaded and colonized by japan so i'm sure they also had some english influence in their their culture and they kind of kind of remade that and then came it, it came to korea so there's some terms that doesn't make sense in english but we just use it like for instance called game that would be like the mercy rule or mm. cycling hit would be hit for the cycle uh we would say we would say four ball in, in instead of a walk or a ball four hmm. and ground home run would be in inside the parker dead ball would be hit by pitch so you have these uh kind of weird english we koreans kind of call it konglish like <laughs> korean english and also most most of the recent sabermetric terms or uh, analytical terms we haven't really mi- kind of figured out a way how to say them in korean so we just use use all of them in english we'll, we'll just kind of spell it out in our like spell it out phonetically and Brendan, I know you're fluent in Spanish. I don't know if you're fluent in baseball Spanish specifically, but what is your perspective on how things work between those two languages? Because obviously English has borrowed some baseball terms from Spanish, so it's sort of a, a two-way exchange. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about the term buscon, for example, which yeah. you know, if you're interested in prospects, that comes up a lot. And you know, one reason you get borrowings is because there's a cultural concept that you don't have a term at hand to express it. And so you need to borrow it from somewhere else to capture what that is, kind of like Jackie and Hyung Sung are talking about. So it's like, well, you know, Buscon is a job or a role within baseball that at least people perceive that, that it originated in Latin America. And it's not quite a scout and it's not quite a coach and it's not quite you know, a promoter, it's something sort of in between those things. And so, um, you know, even people who aren't Spanish speakers use that term. I'm trying to think of other ones that have uh, traveled from Spanish into English. It's a little bit harder. um, It's a little bit harder to think of other ones. Um, Yeah, I I guess like people talking about, you know, referring to a change up as as a a cambio cambio or something. That was the one I, yeah, that's just sort of a stylized thing though, right? It's not like we don't have a word for change up. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, well, and then there's also, like everything, it's very context specific. I mean, you get these regional variations in how people use um, baseball Spanish, too. I remember, I think this is when Jeff was still on the show, but I remember an episode from a while back where you were talking about, I I think Jeff had sort of done a, a Google translation or a literal translation of an article about baseball in Spanish into English. And I, I want to say it was from Mexico, but you were talking about some Mexican Spanish terms like chocolates or chocolates for, right. what was that, strikeouts, I think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so some of this stuff, it doesn't all necessarily travel from one context to another. Some of it stays um, specific to, to um, you know, specific places where baseball is played. Mm-hmm. So, Jackie, I guess if anything stood out that you haven't already mentioned about some of the difficulties, you know, words or terms or concepts that you remember sort of struggling to express, I'd be curious about anything that comes to mind. Yeah, I just want to add on to what Hyunsung mentioned, sure. that Japan also borrowed a lot of terms from the United States. And actually, they combine their language with the English terms. And 
they also make their way to Taiwan. For for example, like Japan usually called their batter bata, and、mm. in Taiwan, when people play baseball, they also refer to the batter as bata, and sometimes a、uh, shortstop. Um, Japanese, I believe they call them shoto, and、mm. in Taiwan, we just borrowed it directly from Japan Japanese baseball culture shoto. So actually, people consider those kind of、uh, usages of these baseball terms to be very Taiwanese.、Uh, if you, as a player, you say those things here in Taiwan when when you play ball, so I think、uh, it's actually pretty interesting.、Mm-hmm. And you wanted me to say more about the terms. And, yeah. Okay. So, like, there are so many terms for home run in English, and you can replace it with other words very frequently to make sure the text does not sound too repetitive with、right. the same word. But in Chinese, we only have like a two or three different kind of expressions of home runs. So sometimes. Um, because in MVP machine, home runs appears a lot of times, and you use a lot of different ways <laughs> to describe it. And、yeah. I feel like I also have to do that to to make the text、uh, read more like more more di- diverse. So I f-、um, so I feel like I have to、uh, add in more different ways to、uh, say、uh, to talk about home run. But there's just、uh, not many ways to do that. Yeah. Hmm, I see. And you mentioned in the Facebook group、uh, some other ones like supination and pronation. You know the, the、oh, movement、yeah. of the body. You found that to be difficult, and I guess they're、uh, referring to、uh, Trevor Bauer's penis pull, <laughs> right? As he、yeah. was,、uh, as it was called, the equipment that he used to warm up that was sort of mocked when he was the only one using it. So if you're going to translate something like that, then、uh, you might have to get creative. Yeah, the supination and pronation thing that you mentioned is difficult because in Chinese we don't have a direct equivalent of the verb pronate and supinate. So I have to use a verb phrase or a sentence to describe the motion of pronate, pronating, and supinating.、Mm-hmm. And as for <laughs> penis pull and <laughs> other things.、Uh, Other things that mentioned in the book, I have to yeah use a more localized way to <laughs> translate them, and I also found it find it very difficult to translate expressions like establish your fastball, gain、mm. ground, swipe inside of the ball. I I think it's just it's already difficult to sort of understand it in English. You have to know you have to read a lot of baseball and. Uh, hear a lot of baseball people talk about those ideas to be able to understand them fully, and in Chinese, I think we don't have a also direct equivalent. I have to use a s- sentence and I have to add a footnote to explain exactly what establish your fastball means, because it can be very abstract if you directly translate it into Chinese, and I believe. I need more explanation for our readers to be able to understand. Jackie, I was going to comment about some of the Japanese borrowings you talked about that have become common in Taiwanese baseball on account of the the Japanese colonial history in Taiwan, as in Korea. And 
I, I was struck by what you said when things like shoto for shortstop or bata for batter, you said they've become regarded as very Taiwanese things, kind of quintessentially Taiwanese baseball expressions. And I think that's an excellent illustration of just how language circulates and then cultural forms circulate. We use this word circulate in linguistic anthropology to talk about how people are always borrowing these elements of each other's cultural toolkits, or um, as we say, their repertoires. And so, you know, after a certain point in time where something originated is almost beside the point, right? Bata is now recognized as an authentically Taiwanese way of talking about baseball. But then I was also thinking about what Hyun Sung said about how the Korean government has a certain language policy for handling borrowings or Koreanizing them. And this is a you know, this is a this is a common story when we think about language and culture. It's it's kind of like the French government with the Académie Française and the effort to make sure that you don't have something that's too English sounding or too anglicized in French. You know, we in linguistics we talk about these different social forces that can destabilize language use, as when Japan colonizes your country and all of a sudden there's an influx of new practices like baseball and new words like shoto and bata. And then these sort of efforts to stabilize language, at, you know, if the Korean government tries to insert itself into how people are talking about baseball, um, they can make that effort. But as Hyun Sung said, it's really hard for these top-down efforts at, at planning how people should be using language. It's really hard for those efforts to keep pace with how quickly language and culture are always changing, right? So <laughs> Hyun Sung, I think you said something like, well, we just sort of have to, a lot of the sabermetric terms or the more recent baseball terms, we just kind of have to take those and run with them because the government hasn't even started to consider, you know, what the, what the rules are supposed to be. Yeah. Hyunsung, if you want to respond to that, feel free. But I'm also curious about whether you identify with some of what Jackie said, whether some of those challenges that he faced were familiar to you, or whether there are others that come to your mind. Yeah, getting back to the, the English uh, use about the language and the terminologies, like we, we do have like a Korean version of all the term uh, of most of the basic terminologies, like pitcher would we have words for that and since our publisher or or all the publishers want wants the translator to to kind of translate in a way that a an average ninth or tenth grader could easily understand mm -hmm. so we'll 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 translate using the korean words but if you get into the baseball circle uh, people in baseball, they kind of they they will use it in in English or some other language. It's like uh, I think it's not only in baseball in in any any field they they kind of use other languages to use their terms to make them kind of look better. So it it happens in baseball as well. They'll they'll say pitcher. They'll say short. Well, they'll they'll say short instead of shortstop or something mm -hmm. or etc and also um well, getting back to uh some of the difficulties is yeah many of the q words are very different when i say q words it's uh those cues when when let's say in the book there is a lot of conversations going back and forth between a player and a coach right and 
like for instance uh don't fly open mm. like if if i translate word for word what the korean equivalent would be it's like uh hit when you're closed like stay back would be leave your center of the body or like break out would be opening your eyes to baseball so it goes back to what jackie jackie mentioned about all those terms he he mentioned about those were one of the difficulties too yeah and jackie i think you mentioned in the facebook group that the chinese version of the text ended up being longer than the original is that because of the language itself and, and the differences there? Is it just because the, the characters take up more space than the English characters? Why exactly, I guess, does it end up being longer in the translated version? Yeah, I believe when you translate English text into Chinese, the word count will usually increase. I believe that's a very general phenomenon for this kind of English to Chinese translation. And mm -hmm. for me, even though my editor has already crammed as many words as he could into one page, <laughs> it still <laughs> comes out as a 488-page book. Um, <laughs> that's not ideal for a publisher because you don't want to sell your reader uh, such a thick book. But yeah. he, has, he, he had already done what he could do to make it as slim as possible. So I believe... Part of is part of reason is because the because of the natural thing, but another thing is that I I add a lot of footnotes because mm -hmm. I think our readers need to know some background knowledge before they, you know, start to process the information uh, you provide in the book, and because I believe part of the job as a translator is to help the communication process between the author, the original author, and the uh, Chinese reader. So I want to make it as a easy as possible a process uh, for our Chinese reader so that they don't have to read the passage and have to check on Wikipedia and have to look up the video uh, to remind themselves of those information. Because I believe mm -hmm. some English readers, they already have the baseball background knowledge to be able to understand some context beforehand. But in Taiwan, our baseball fans might not be that familiar with Major League Baseball. So I provide a lot of, a lot of footnotes, and that also contribute to the length of the book. Do you think that will be true about the Korean edition as well, Hyun Sung? I, I know that the book hasn't been printed yet, so I don't know if you know exactly how long it is, but you must have some sense. Oh yes, it's uh, there will be a lot left out, I believe. Uh -huh. It happened with my previous other previous books, translation books. I'm sure the publisher has publishers have their limits or or costs on yeah. on you know, building yeah. the book, and also. They usually leave out a lot of the cultural references, especially when it doesn't resonate well with the Korean audiences. I mean, if it's a, if it's a cultural reference from a show or or another book that Koreans are familiar with, they'll leave it in. But most of the case, it, it's not so. 
So I don't think that I or Travis gets uh, royalties, depending on how well it sells in those markets. But of course, I hope as many people read it and enjoy it as possible. And I'm sure that you have both done the best job possible when it comes to the translation. But I wonder whether you think your editors and publishers were correct in thinking that there would be a market for this. You know, I, I know that Sabermetrics obviously has made inroads into baseball really everywhere in the world at almost every level. Level, but I wonder what the current enthusiasm for and interest in that topic is in Taiwan, in South Korea, and whether you think the book will be well received there. So I, I guess, Jackie, the book has been out already. I wonder whether you've gotten any sense of whether people have enjoyed it. So I don't know the exact number of how many books were sold, but I heard that.、Um, It has been、uh, widely received pretty well.、Um, people who have read it think it's a great book, very informative, and many、uh, professional baseball players here in the CPBL actually got the book, read the book, and even coaches here actually had the book and read the book. I actually talked to one of the coaches from the Unit President Seven Eleven Lions of the CPBL. And he is very passionate about the contact, and he is also very interested in the latest、uh, player development in the United States, and also hope that someday、uh, the CPBL can also catch up on that and improve on player development. So I think this、uh, the, the MVP machine has、uh, made some impact on the. Taiwanese baseball cycle, and I think the concepts that it has mentioned will probably influence the people、uh, who are working in the baseball circle now in Taiwan and make a further change in the future. And our government actually、um, has invested in some ha- has made some investment in sports science、uh, these past two years,、mm. and. We actually have our own developers who design some、uh, systems like TrackMan or like Rapsodo, and they actually perform pretty well. So in Taiwan, we actually have several researchers who are working on this, and they are also very passionate about this subject. And I believe this book can be boost to those development. Mm, that's great to hear. And Hyunsung, what is your sense of whether these concepts have already made their way into the KBO, and whether you think there will be any interest in them?、Uh, they have、um, sabermetrics and analytics and all the techs、uh, involved with baseball. They're quite、uh, widespread right now, and it's just that there isn't any reference materials or or, or books or reading materials available for them to. Uh, kind of get that understanding, or or absorb it to make it their own knowledge. I mean, sports books in general over here in Korea, it's it, it's a bit tough because it's not a big audience. But at least you want the whole baseball community to 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 indulge in it. So we're hoping that、um, this book can this book can do that. Hopefully, coaches, players, instructors, people in the front office. Baseball fans in general would reach out to this book, and I hope that happens.
Hyunsung, I was going to ask you first, and then Jackie, if you want to jump in too, kind of about what your perception is of how foreign players or non-Korean, non-Taiwanese, or at least non-Chinese speaking players handle everyday situations of communication in CPBL and the KBO. So I, it's funny, before we had this conversation, I was looking back at a series of articles that Sungmin Kim did for Fangraphs a couple years ago, interviewing players like Josh Lindblom about their experience in the KBO and kind of how they adjusted to the food, to the fans, to the culture of baseball, and then also to the challenges of, of communication. And I you know, I think that's one of the, for me, one of the fascinating things about reading these accounts or hearing stories from U.S.-born players who have gone to Venezuela to play for a while. You know, in the United States, there's often an expectation, I think, that we have to accommodate language in only one way, right? That English has to be accommodated, English speakers have to be accommodated, and there's not really a society-wide expectation for other people to function in a bilingual way outside of, you know, specific communities. But when I was reading that, that anyway, back to the article about foreign players in the KBO, it was fascinating to read about guys like Lindblom and I'm um, trying to think of who the other players in that article were. I think it was Jamie Romack and Tyler Wilson. Yeah. So they bring up a whole bunch of different things. They bring up the role of translators and interpreters. They bring up using gestures and body language. They bring up uh, Konglish, Hyunsung, as you mentioned before. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious to hear from both of you if there's anything you've noticed or anything that stood out to you about how those bilingual situations or those communication challenges look for, especially, I guess, for, um, for players from the U.S. who are playing in Korea or Taiwan. Okay, so actually my master's thesis was something about the roles of staff interpreters in a professional baseball team in Taiwan. And I actually went to the spring training camp of the CTBC brothers last year in 2019 to do this thesis. And I interviewed a lot of players, coaches, and also the foreign players and foreign coaches to ask them about what roles do those staff interpreters play on their team. And as my research found that those staff interpreters are just uh, indispensable for the foreign players in the CPBL. And they're sort of, sometimes they're sort of like their personal assistant because not only do they have to in in interpret for them on the field and during the training, they also have to help them call the cab. Uh, they have to help them order food. Uh, do a lot of things. Sometimes if uh, the players' relatives, their families got sick during midnight and they are just, those interpreters are just a phone call away from sending their uh, family members to the hospital. And they also have to deal with a lot of uh, paperwork that the foreign players have to uh, deal with. So I think it's a, the uh, the process of doing that research really uh, impressed me a lot because that it's a very um, unique look into the baseball organization and those interpreters even though because of their job they don't really have much personal time but they still they're still very devoted to the job because they love baseball and they form a very deep bond 
with the coaches or the players that they uh they serve or they help. Uh, a very good example is that uh, there is a coach called John Foster in the CPBS Brothers. Uh, he was also a former major leaguer, and he served as a pitching coach here in the C- in the CTBC Brothers. And he, f- uh, when when I interviewed him, he mentioned about how deep his bond is with his interpreter Brian, and that make that 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 bond makes may makes him consider more to stay in Taiwan, because his interpreter really becomes one of his family members or sort of like that and they have they share this very uh, deep relationship so i think for foreign players and foreign coaches in a foreign league uh, it is uh, very important to form a bond with the local communities and local teammates and local interpreters for them to adjust to the cultures and the baseball environment and working environment that's what I found in my research. And Sung, did you have anything that you wanted to add about Brendan's question? Yeah, I think the translators over here in, in the KBO are pretty much the same what Jackie said in terms of what what kind of work they have to do and what kind of work they have to deal with trying to kind of take care of the, you know, take care or look, look after the player. Korean audience in general, uh, it's, I mean, we, we're a... What you, what you would say a homogenous society we're kind of just one ethnic group and we know that we're, our language is pretty tough to tough to learn so when uh when we have a foreign i mean just foreigners in general if, if we have a foreigner we just we don't really expect them to speak our language we'll try to accommodate them uh trying to use whatever means whether it's gestures or or broken english we'll try to accommodate them but when they open up and kind of speak one one korean word everyone <laughs> just explodes they'll they'll really love it and or or not just language but also the culture if they use chopsticks to eat some um, korean food or if they do a bowing gesture when they uh, meet someone older than them or or actually we we have a difference we have honorifics where we there's a difference in how we speak our language to someone older than you or someone younger than you if they kind of use that with their teammates or you know fans kind of see that they love it so yeah yeah Brendan, that reminds me of the beginning of your article where the lead was a a speech that Hunter Pence gave while he was playing winter ball. And as you noted, it was sort of broken Spanish that he was using. And in some other context, that could have been looked at as derogatory. You know, it would have been looked at as mock Spanish and would have been seen as, as looking down on the language or the culture in some way. And yet, in that case, Pence was sort of celebrated for that and, you know, other other players whose uh, first language is English who have maybe learned Spanish even better than Pence has have really sort of been, you know, feted for making that effort, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, and that's the the term that I use for that in the article is the paradox of bilingualism, especially within the U.S., which, 
you know, like you're saying, Ben, English, monolingual English-speaking Americans, or at least those of us who grew up speaking just English, and especially white Americans, I think, kind of get bonus points for even the barest amount of bilingualism or cultural competence, like Hyun Sung was saying. Whereas, you know, players from Latin America, for example, they might receive an approving comment about their English from time to time, but it's not seen as this totally exceptional thing for someone from Latin America who immigrates to the United States to be able to function in English. It's just kind of expected, right? So, there's no bonus points assigned for that. I, I was going to say one other thing too, back to what Jackie was saying about um, the work of interpreters. And I, I, I loved what he said because I think it's a good reminder that interpretation and translation are never just about language. You know, the way he described it, it really is a kind of caring work. And there's a term that some people use for interpretation and translation within linguistics and education, which is language brokering, which reminds us that, you know, there's always some kind of negotiation going on when there's, when, when you're crossing these linguistic boundaries. Anyway, that made me think of a conversation with a friend of mine recently, my friend Nick Blue, who's a former minor league player, mentioned, he said, you know, even after Nick, Nick grew up um, playing baseball in Japan, and he said, you know, even after Ichiro spoke English proficiently, he continued to use an interpreter for contact with the media, which, you know, that in itself demonstrates that interpretation is not just about this kind of bare ability to communicate. It's also about negotiating really challenging, complex, cross-cultural situations and doing so with a certain level of comfort, like Jackie was saying, that makes you feel like you could actually become part of this this society or you could become better integrated at least well before we end i wanted to ask one more question for hyun sung which is about stove league one of my favorite topics of this year i've recommended the korean baseball drama many times this year and i still get the sense that not every effectively wild listener has watched stove league yet which is unacceptable I'm still trying to get Meg to watch it. I know that she will. I think that she'll like it. But we traded some emails about it earlier this year, and I know you liked it too. So I wonder if you could just uh, give it your endorsement and maybe talk a little bit about how closely you think it came to capturing KBO and how accurate it was and also, I guess, how popular it was in your country. Oh, yeah. Stove League was um, it's a TV um, drama that was aired actually last year, around this time. And it's about a bottom of the league team that's trying to kind of revamp them, themselves and trying to be more competitive. They bring in a new GM who has no experience in baseball, but he just uses analytics or sabermetrics and his experience through... I mean, he's he's... He's been a GM for other sporting teams, so mm-hmm. he will he would use those experience to build build this team. And what I heard from this was from an article is that um, most of the the episodes were based on actual events, so the accuracy is pretty much there. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting because they just focused on what goes on in the front office. I particularly didn't really like the, the baseball scenes. It, it, it <laughs> just kind of, it was a bit awkward. They're just, you know, Yeah, that's, that's often a problem. <laughs> yeah. 
and it kind of reminded me of um, shows like Rome, like the HBO show Rome, or or Game of Thrones, like in in the earlier seasons where they didn't show much battle. It's more, you know, the the politics going on between people, right. and I think that was the most interesting part for 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 me. And it was really popular. I mean, it won awards. It, it was like the the best drama at, at the annual award show, right? And I, <laughs> I mean, at, in the beginning, it, people were kind of worried because we did have a few baseball shows before that really failed terribly. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the there there weren't actually there weren't many expectations in the beginning. Uh-huh. But then it yeah became really popular. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's great. It's a, a great baseball show, but also just a great show, period. I think it's available in some markets on Netflix, but I think not in the U.S., but you can watch it on Viki, the streaming service, which uh, I will link to, and you can get a free trial and just binge the whole thing. It's very easy. I did it and enjoyed it, and I think it's a great off-season content for any American baseball fans who might be in the market. So, I guess we have covered everything I set out to cover, and this was as interesting as I hoped it would be. If there's anything any of you want to add, please do. But I will also link to Brendan's article. I will link to where you can buy Jackie's work, the translated version, if you are in the market or know someone who is. And I'll link to Jackie's blog as well. So I'm really grateful that you two were the ones doing this. I can't imagine that there would have been anyone better suited to bringing the book to these languages. And I'm really happy that uh, you devoted such time and attention to it and, and brought such expertise to the project. So if anyone wants to add anything else or plug anything else, please do. But uh, I'm really happy that we could get you all together today. Yeah, thank you. It's because of your works that um, make it very make me really interesting writing writing long baseball articles. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on, and thank you, Hyun Sung, as well. Thank you for having me, and Brendan. Thanks for joining us too. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Ben, and thanks, Hyun Sung and Jackie. Uh, wonderful to meet you all and to get to chat about baseball and language. All right, that will do it for today and for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I hope you all enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. It's always a pleasure for me when we can connect to people all around the world who share this bond of baseball. It is kind of a common language in one sense, even if it's not literally the same language. I'm still hoping for a second season of Stove League, but season one was pretty perfect, so it doesn't really require a second season. I just miss the show, but if you haven't seen season one, then you have plenty of Stove League still ahead of you. I will repeat my plea for you all to check it out. I suppose I would be remiss if I did not mention that the MVP machine makes a nice stocking stuffer, especially in the paperback edition, whichever language you choose to read it in. You can also support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some small monthly amount to help keep the podcast going and get themselves access to some perks. Elisa Gale, Linus Marco, Brian Strauss, Scott Kramer, and Gus. Thanks to all of you. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. Keep your questions and comments for me and Meg coming via email at podcastfangrass.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you are a supporter. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing assistance. If you're celebrating Christmas, I hope you have a merry one. 
not, I still hope you have a nice December 25th. We will be back with more episodes next week before the end of the year. So we hope you have a wonderful rest of this week and weekend, and we will be back to talk to you early next week. So many-